Okay, everyone, welcome. Thank you for joining tonight. Parsha's Vayetze, Parsha in my life class. Um, tonight's class has been dedicated by Donnie Stewart. And this is in honor of his father, Elio Lipman, Ben Rebenacha Mendel. His yard site, which is tonight. So, um, Rabbi Stewart, Elio Stewart, was the English principal in Torah Semes when I was a teacher there. So I don't know if you know this, but I remember I'm going on school trips and I would sit together with, I remember more than once, I think at least, where I sat with, you know, with the kids, with him on the shared, the school bus seat. And we chatted and we spoke. He was a very, very special man. And I enjoyed uh, his company a lot. And he told me really interesting stuff. A very fascinating person. And um, yeah, may this be, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling very special to make a dedication in his honor. It's really a nice couple of years since he passed away. May this be his chus for his special neshama, carry him higher and higher. May he channel lots of brachas to you, Donnie, and to your brothers and your, your whole family, and your children and your, all of your families, all that you need and all that you want in a big, big, big way. Thank you so much. Um, and now we're ready to start. Um, this week, Parsha's Vayetze, a very special Parsha. It's the story of Yaakov Avinu. Until now, last week we had the story of Yaakov Avinu's birth, and we focused last week the class of Yitzchak's perfection. Now, Yitzchak's, Yitzchak was so holy that his body could not go out of Eretz Yisrael. That was the whole content of last week's class. But we know that there is a progression. Our forefathers progress. And they actually become greater. As great as we, we celebrated Yitzchak, Yaakov is like the perfect of our fathers. That's what we know. Yaakov is called Bechir Shabbat From our fathers, he's the chosen of the fathers. And Yaakov reaches perfection, not necessarily just because, it's not because of himself, but because he has the merits and the power and the empowerment of two before him. So he's born already on giant shoulders, so he goes even higher. So he reaches a certain level of perfection, even greater than his father's, as pointed out in many different things, as we will discuss in today's class. So when we read the story of the third and our main establishment as a people, the Jewish people, is upon Yaakov's shoulders. Yaakov is our primary father. Um, and he's the one who gives, who sets, you know, the 12 tribes, which are the beginning of Am Yisrael, the Jewish people, in the literal sense, he fathers them. One of the unique things about Yaakov is that Yaakov did not have any children that were not okay. All of his 12 sons were all tzaddikim, all righteous ones, and the Jewish people come from all 12 of them, plus his daughter. So we have 13 altogether, and all of them were righteous. When Avram and Yitzchak, we find that there was something, some element coming out of them that were not yet good. Okay, so Avram produced Yishmael, and Yishmael was the father of a great nation, but not the chosen nation. And Yishmael represents a certain klipa, a certain, a certain um, a force of cover-up of the divine in this world, a certain dark force. And um, Yitzchak is the father of Esav, which Esav has been a very, very dark, he himself was a wicked person, and uh, he fathered a wicked people that destroyed the holy temple and brought upon suffering and, and um, 
un, unfathomable suffering upon Israel, the Jewish people, and in that case, uh, dim, dimming God's light in the world. We know that in the end, the Yaakov, Yaakov is the ultimate champion, is going to rectify both of them, especially Esau, uh, is going to be rectified in the end of days and elevated. And uh, But that happens all the way in the end. But in as much as most of world history, both Yishmael and Esau, which is the world of Islam and the world of Christianity, is not, uh, is, not, is not the truth. And it's a concealment on godliness. And Judaism is, is uh, plowing its way through a world full of hostilities, presented to it by both Yishmael and Esau, by both Yishmael and Esau, the descendants of Yishmael and Esau, and in the end triumphs. And the triumphant power is from Yaakov. From Avram and Yitzchak, they're in a sense, as difficult as it is to say, part of who created the mess. And Yaakov had no mess coming from him. He only has to mop it all up. He has to clean it all up. And he does. In that sense, Yaakov is the perfect of perfection. When we look into Yaakov's life, we find an interesting thing. We find that Yaakov has three phases in his life, three places in which he lives. Um, for most of his life, he lives in the land of Israel, just like Avram and um, Yitzhak. Now, Avram lived 75 years not in the land of Israel, but that's before he kind of was given the godly role. Once he's sent to the land of Israel, other than a brief little um, exit where he went out to Egypt, and he was there just, I think Rashi says, for three months, the rest of the time, Amram spends all of his time living in the land of Israel. Yitzchak, we know, never left the land of Israel. We spoke about it last week. He wasn't allowed to leave Eretz Yisrael. He was sanctified with the epitome of holiness. Yaakov is interesting. His first 63 years of his life, he's in the land of Israel. And that's when, after, when he's at the age of 63 is where we encounter Yaakov over here, when he has to escape from his brother's wrath, Esau, and he's running, he's fleeing. And where is he going? He's going to Mesopotamia. He's going to the land where they come from, where Avram comes from, the land of his uncle. Uh, he goes um, and he spends over there uh, quite some time, 20 years. 20 years he sp spends outside of Eretz Yisrael and Chutzliyarts. There is in the middle a period of 14 years that he's hiding in yeshiva, where he goes to yeshiva and he learns, studies Torah. But afterwards, for 20 years, he's in the land of Mesopotamia, in the land of Haran, which in addition to it being outside of the land of Israel, the name denotes negativity. The name Haran, the sages say, come from the word Haron. Haron means wrath, which means that it itself is a country that evokes God's wrath, which means... The, the, the inhabitants of the land of Haran are not righteous, upright people. Like we Haran, uh, like Lavan. Lavan was a cheat, a swindler, a liar, uh, a very immoral person. And so was the conduct in, in Haran, pretty immoral. So Yaakov lives over there for 20 years. It was a test to his morality. And Yaakov manages to remain the same saintly tzaddik that he is. And it was expected that at that time he would lose his Torah. He would lose everything he learned. Sometimes we find people that spend time soaking up holiness and then they're put to the test and they get put outside and kind of it, it doesn't stay. Yaakov had sticking power. He didn't lose any of the Torah as we know. Then he came back, he knew all the Torah that he studied and he was just as righteous 
as saintly, as perfect as he was when he left. It was fantastic. But there's 20 years that he lived in the land of Har. Then he comes back to the land of Israel and he spends in the land of Israel another 31 years. Not counting the time that he's actually journeying, which was about 18 months, which was also in the land of Canaan, but primarily settled in the land of Israel nine years until Yosef, nine years until Yosef was sold. And then another 22 years where he lost Yosef. It says that he was punished for 22 years. He didn't honor his father, even though it wasn't his fault, whatever. So for 22 years, he lost Yosef. So altogether, you got nine and 22. is 31 years that he's again in the land of Israel. So you got 63 plus 31. What is that? 94 years. So the sum total of Yaakov, he lives 94 years if you count the other year and a half. So let's make it 95 and a half years that he's spending in the Holy Land of Israel. But he lived to 147 all the rest of the time, 20 years in Haran and 17 years to long chunks of time. And as we're going to see major, major um, um, phases in his life, not just in, not just phases, but important phases or crucial stages in him being Yaakov, Jacob, Yaakov, our father, was when Yaakov was living outside of the land of Israel. So what we need to understand is that why is it that of all of our fathers, it's precisely Yaakov, the holiest of our fathers, the greatest, the greatest of our fathers, the most perfect one of our fathers, spends so much time in the land of Chutzliyards. You know, Eretz Yisrael is called Eretz Yisrael because it is a Jewish homeland. And everything about it is Jewish. Everything about it is holy. And holy people ought to live in a holy environment. Why did God put the Jewish people in the land of Israel? So that we should be in a holy place. And the holiness of the land of Israel is conducive to the development of our holiness and our devekos and our connection, our cleaving to God. Going outside of outside of the land of Israel always presents uh, as problematic and usually causes a person to slip and to fall. Now, so Avram and Yitzhak, we understand. God takes them and sends them. They, Avram was outside of the land of Israel. God says to him, you know, you go, you're going to be the father of the great Jewish nation. You're going to lay the foundation of, of the Jewish people. Go to the land of Israel. Go to Eretz Yisrael. Makes perfect sense. And once he goes there, besides a brief exit, he stays there. And, and, and Yitzhak, all his life, he's the pillar of service, of, of, of sacrifice, of connection, the pillar of holiness, such credible holiness, the Kedusha of Yitzhak. Incredible in the land of Israel. And then we come to the peak, peak, peak. And Davka Yaakov Avinu, who's the peak of it all, Jacob, who's the highest and the holiest of all, is spending so many, so much of his years outside of the land of Israel. And that needs understanding. Why did God orchestrate it that way? I mean, we know the reasons. Here, Yosef was in Egypt, so you have to go down to Egypt. Here, um, it was... Uh, here it was, um, he has to escape his brother, and he also has to go get married, and they happen to be over there, whatever. But we all understand that God could have had it another way. And if God made that Yaakov Avinu should be living outside of the land of Israel, that's because it's crucial for the Jewish people that way. We need that. And that has to be kind of established as part of our foundation. So we need to understand what that means. Obviously, on a simple level, the Jewish people are going to be spending much of their history outside of the land of Israel. So if we're not going to have a foundation outside of the land of Israel, then we wouldn't, we wouldn't make it. So the fact that we had a champion, our, our trailblazer, 
uh, our, you know, the, 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 our founding father. And he lived outside of the land of Israel. And yet he was able to live a Jewish life and a godly life. That's what's keeping us. That's why I'm speaking to you here today as a Jew. And you're so listening as Jews across the entire world, inspired to listen to a Torah class. Although right now on YouTube, it's not the only thing that's happening or on Facebook that this class is happening. There's many other stuff that one could be watching and reading and spending their time with. And instead, you're looking for spirituality and a connection to God, listening to this class. And that's a few thousand years after Jacob. It's because of Yaakov, even if you're living here in California, even if there's sports to watch and all kinds of other stuff. And yet you're choosing to do this. You're choosing to do the godly thing right now. Why? And that's because Yaakov did the godly thing, even though he was outside of the land of Israel. And he lived in places that are similar to California. And in terms of its unholiness. So that's the simple of it. Let's really understand the depth of what that means. And why Yaakov, out of all of our fathers, was given that incredible task. To be Jewish in the un-Jewish world. Now let's take a look a little deeper and see. Not only did Yaakov survive when he was outside of the land of Israel, he actually thrived when he was outside of the land of Israel. His most achieving moments, his most triumphant, his most triumphant moments are outside of the land of Israel. His greatest moments in his life. The 20, see, Tully was 63. He was, he was, he was, he was a bacher. He was a great bacher. He was a yeshiva boy. He was studying, soaking up holiness. That's great. But you know what? That's not what makes him our father, Jacob. The fact that he was uh, a studious. There's been many studious. Now nah, you say, well, all the studious people who study a lot of Torah and very, very big, uh, very big scholars, you know, they don't come close to Yaakov, his scholarly. But okay, so he's maybe more scholarly. But that, that's not what Yaakov. Yaakov's greatness is that he established the Jewish people. He's our father. He created Israel. He created the light onto all nations, the people who will light up the entire world and bring the Shekhinah down into this world. Now, which period of Yaakov's life did he do that? He didn't do that when he was in the land of Israel. He had a dream when he was in the land of Israel. He saw the, the ladder and the angels going up and down, and God gave him the fortitude and the power and the strength to be able to accomplish it when he was in the land of Israel, and all the blessings and so on and so forth. But where was the hero Yaakov? Where was his heroic work? And where did he build his beautiful family besides his last child, which is Benjamin that was born to him. That's why he's called Benjamin, ben Benjamin, 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 because he's born on the right, to the right, which is an Eretz Yisrael. All the other kids are all chutz, chutznikers. They're all people from outside of the land of Israel, the charge of Jewish people. And if you stop for a moment to think about that, that's very, very interesting. We are a Jewish people, but we were born outside of the land of Israel. And even though we technically could have been born in the land, it's not like there wasn't yet Israel. Eretz Yisrael was there in a sense that our fathers already had pitched their tent over there. They have already set up camp in the land of Israel for many years. And yet what does God do in order to build the Jewish people? He makes them build it outside of the land of Israel. Phenomenal. It's just, it's, a, it's, it's, you should stop for a moment and think about that. It's a massive idea. It's a very, very, very powerful thing. In addition to that, in addition to that, um, to that uh, thing that where he builds his, his, his children, 
Yaakov then continues in the end of his life, in the end of his life. And by the way, he established himself uh, with, with his family. He also established his entire wealth, his fortune, which is also part because the Jewish people could not build and transform the world just being paupers. We couldn't do it. Jews always had big influence and many of them had affluence. And so not always, there were times of great poverty and there's always times of some that were more influential and less influential and had more means and less means, financial means. But that's part of the divine blessing that God gave to, 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 to Abraham, Isaac, and Yaakov, to Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. Jim gave them that Jewish people would be very prosperous in the world, even in the dark ages, even during the time of exile. So where does Yaakov make his great wealth? Not in the land of Israel. The land of Israel is actually robbed. Everything was taken away from him. He was penniless. When he left Israel, he was penniless. He came back a billionaire. You know, he came back a massive uh, a wealthy person, and primary, and the main thing is he came back with this beautiful family. The other interesting, amazing thing about Yaakov, that's one period. And the other period in which is like really, really astounding regarding Yaakov is that, that in the end of his life, he spent 17 years in Egypt. Now, um, what do we know about those 17 years? So Rashi says... That Vayechi Yaakov, that Yaakov lived, I think it's Rashi, maybe it's the Balaturim. Let me check one second over here. Maybe it's the Balaturim. I'll check one second. If we go to Parshas Vayechi, Vayechi Yaakov, I think it's the Balaturim. Uh, hold on. Yeah, the Balaturim says that the, 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 the choiciest of his years, because he says that Shva Esreishana, 17 is Gematria Tov, 17 is Gematria Good, that basically the best years of Yaakov's life was the time that he spent in the land of Egypt, which is like something, something. again, we're talking about the father of the Jewish people who gets to live 95 of his years in the land of Israel. Eh. Eh. And where is he? He's in Egypt, which is going to be the, actually the place where his children are going to suffer. It's going to be the worst, 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 horrific suffering. And, it's, and obviously, we're so going to see it's the most spiritually, spiritually is the darkest place. And Yaakov lives his 17 best years of his life. To make that even more, we know that the, 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 there is the crown moment of a person's life, for, especially for tzaddikim, who've lived very meaningful lives, is the, the summary of their life, where everything is the, is the conclusion. It's where they end. The, the last moments, when their soul is leaving their body, it actually gathers together all the good deeds that they've done all their life, and it comes into this amazing, amazing uh, crescendo of, 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 of illumination. And when did that happen? Yaakov Avinu's histalkos, not on his deathbed in the land of Israel. It happens in Egypt. So that's like the shining moment of Yaakov in terms of the, the, the culmination of everything he has is outside of Eretz Yisrael. And that is strange. Both, we said, his establishment of a family and his best years of his life should be outside of the land of Israel. Something's 
basically need clarification. Now, we explained earlier that wow, that he has to lay a foundation as well. He has to lay a foundation as well for the service outside of the land of Israel. Now, we understand. But to, to highlight that, and that should be considered the, mo- the, the, the greatness of Jacob, the greatness of Yaakov, and it is Dafka outside of Eretz Yisrael, is, is difficult. Now, till now we spoke about the fact that these two places where Yaakov was were outside of the land of Israel. To make the matters worse, in addition to them being outside of Eretz Yisrael, they are both considered the worst of the worst. And on two levels. Haran is bad. That's Mesopotamia where he went to. Haran, as we said earlier, it's all in the name. The name means anger, wrath. And uh, who's anger? It, it upsets every, every good person, every moral person, and it upsets God. So you're going to, a, you're go, you're going to live in a place that is, that is, that is upsetting and, and in God's face, so to speak. That's what Haran is. And what is Egypt? The definition of Egypt means constrictions, jail, imprisonment. That's really what it means. So the imprisonment of everything godly and holy, constrictions. And we know that one of the terms or labels that we give for Egypt is ervas ha'aretz, the filth of the land. So it's not like he just went out of the land of Israel and went to live in Muncie. You know, I'm living in Muncie. Okay, Muncie is a nice Jewish community, Muncie, New York. Full of shuls, full of, full of Judaism all over the place. He didn't go there. He went to Vegas. It's a different thing. You know, you left the land of Israel. Where did you move to? I moved to Lakewood. Okay, so you moved. I moved to Williamsburg. <laughs> you know, where everything around you is Jewish. But Yaakov went and he lived his best life, as we're saying, in Egypt. Now, to make the question even stronger, um, we spoke about um, Avram and Yitzchak versus Yaakov in the beginning of the class. And we said that even though Avram and Yitzchak are perfect, but yet not all their children are so perfect. Which means, in other words, that Avram and Yitzchak had some kind of a relationship to the unholy side. Avram produces... As we spoke earlier, Yishmael. And Yitzchak produces Esau. Which means that you see that they have some kind of a relationship to the outside world of unholiness. Because they contributed to that unholiness. Yaakov doesn't have any relationship to the unholy. He has the perfect family. Everybody in his family are tzaddikim. So if anybody should have had more relate, so Avram and Yitzhak, in a sense, we can say have more of a connection to the unholy world. So if they lived a little bit outside of the land of Israel, it would make a little sense. But Yaakov, who's perfect in holiness, what's he doing in such an unholy environment? More than his followers. Now, the truth is, Avram and Yitzhak we can't say that they are a little blemished. God forbid to say that, because we know that Avram and Yitzchak and Yaakov, all three of them, the sages say about them, the Ovos, our forefathers, they are the chariot. 
The chariot means that they are the vehicles. They are the conduits for God into this world, the channels of God into this world. If they are the channels of God into this world, everything about them is 1,000% holy. There is nothing unholy in Avram and Yitzhak because they are channels of the divine. And if, if there would be anything unholy, then they couldn't serve as a channel. That's why we speak about them uniquely, different than everybody else. We have moments in which we channel godliness when we do a mitzvah. But we don't say about any one of us that we are, as a whole, a channel for God. Why not? Because we have aspect in our thought, speech, and action that is not channeling God. Sometimes it's very antithetical to God and to holiness. Our thoughts. We all know the truth. That right now we're sitting at a shir. Not always are we having these thoughts of holy shir class. Not always are we studying Torah. Not always are we feeling a desire, holy emotions. Sometimes our desires and wants and passions are extremely, extremely ferocious. So we're not th at that moment. So you can't say about us that we're a channel for God. Uh, we say that about the biggest of tzaddikim, and yet we don't find that we say that about tzaddikim besides these three tzaddikim, that they are the chariot and King David. Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, and David, the Markava, they are the chariot of God. So in that sense, you can't say that in Avram and Yitzchak, there is a little bit of bad. They have Esau and Avram has, has Yishmael. So the sage is interesting. So therefore, you take a look, you see, that when the sages speak about the uniqueness of Yaakov, and they say that Yaakov did not produce any negativity, they say that Yaakov is so special, he's like Avram. He's not like Abraham. He's not like his grandfather, Abraham. That means he's superior to Abraham, to Avram. In what way? By Avram, that Yishmael went out of him. Not like Isaac, that he produced Esau. So the simple way of reading it, if you don't learn it carefully, simple way of learning it, eh, they had some mess come from them. They did a lot of good, but also uh, whatever. So they are kind of, they're still... We might say they're a little bit still etzadas tovara. You know, one of the problems that happened by in the beginning of creation is that it became a mixture of good and bad. And we know that there's no such a thing as a tzaddik who's perfectly tov. There isn't a tzaddik that is so perfect and so holy and so whatever. So because we're all living in a world that's post tree of knowledge and in tree of knowledge, there became a mixture, a cosmic mixture of good and evil in the entire world. And it impacts everybody and everything. And, and our work is to purge the evil and to, to whatever degree we can. And that's everybody's different than the amount of how we develop ourselves to belong to the good side and not to the unholy side. So God forbid we will say that Avram and Yitzchak, they had, uh, you know, uh, half a percent of, of bad in them. And that's what produced Chas Fishalim, Yitzchak and Esau. But, 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 but uh, I'm sorry, that produced Chas Yishmal and Esau. And, and, and Yaakov, he was like already, you know, all good. We can't say that because or else we wouldn't refer to them as Markava, going back. Remember, we wouldn't say that they're, they're, they're a channel because they couldn't be a channel. The Shekhinah could not dwell on them perfectly because there was still some evil inside of them. So therefore, we say like this. We look carefully at the words of the sages. We see that when it says, Avram imenu, it actually, that itself is speaking of the greatness of Avram and Yitzhak. Avram and Yitzhak were so perfect and they were so holy and they were so godly. That if they came into a if they came into connection if they if they if they crossed path with anything unholy that unholiness had to immediate they ejected it immediately unholiness could not 
remain in their realm. So the sages don't say Shebamihem that or they produce. The sages say Sheyatsamehem. Yatsamehem means they ejected it or they rejected it. Which means because they are so godly, when there was something of their children, when one of their children turned out not to be holy, automatically that child did not remain attached to them. That child became disconnected. That child became severed from them. So Avram Avinu's child, um, 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 Yishmael, became severed from Avram. What do we mean? We know that the, the great, the, 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 the nation that Avram Avinu has established that goes particularly to Avram Avinu is the Jewish people. The Muslims might see themselves as the children of Abraham, but they're not the real children of Abraham in the sense the great nation that God promised Avram Avinu that I'm going to take out from you, a great nation, does is not a blend of Yitzhak and Yishmael because Yishmael is out. Hashem tells Aram specifically, Ki in Yitzchak is going to be considered your child. In a sense, Yishmael is not considered his child. So why is that? Because Avram could, in Avram could not tolerate Yishmael. When we say he could not tolerate, doesn't mean emotionally. He actually asked God that Yishmael should do tshuva and stay alive. He wanted to connect to him, but the but his kedusha, his neshama does not leave room for Yishmael. There's no space in Avram's soul for Yishmael to reside in it because Yishmael is klipa. Yishmael is klipa, meaning he's unholiness, and inside Avram's zone, Yishmael cannot be. The same as Yitzchak. The same is also Yitzchak. Yitzchak in Yitzchak's space, Yitzchak cannot have within himself Esau. Yes, notwithstanding the fact that he loved him and he wanted to elevate him. But in the end, the end was that Yishmael turned out wicked and Esau turned out bad, both of them. So these two children are not included in the in Yitzchak and in in Yitzchak and in uh, and in Avram because because holiness does not tolerate the unholy. So they rejected it and they pushed it out. And that itself is a testimony to how perfect their holiness is because they are so holy. Therefore, you can't have with in there attached to them anything unholy. But what do you see from here? That what? That their relationship is their relationship with the unholy is that they do what? They push it away. They reject it. Now you let's go to Yaakov. Yaakov doesn't have anybody, none of his children that are unholy. All of Yaakov's children are tzaddikim. That means, in a sense, Yaakov is even holier than Avram and Yitzhak. They don't even, they have a, a connection to something unholy, but then they disconnect, they reject it. Yaakov doesn't even begin to have any because he's already the third generation. He's already purity after purity after purity, filtered, filtered, filtered. He's like the highest, most purest of holiness possible of a human being. He's the most, he's the purest of, of Kedusha of holiness. And therefore, he doesn't have any connection anymore to the unholy. And yet, Dafka Yaakov, who is so removed from anything unholy, lives and builds his family. <laughs> And, and, and lives the best of his life 
and the and the culmination of his life crowns his life. We're outside of Eretz Yisrael in an unholy place. It, it, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't fit. He should be in holiness. So to understand this, let's further analyze the statement we said before. Before we said that Yaakov doesn't have any relate. All his children were holy and no sinfulness in his family. Well, Yaakov's oldest son is Ruvain. The Torah tells us a story about Ruvain. The way the Torah tells us the story doesn't look good. Torah says that he actually had relations with his father's wife. The Gemara tells us in Masech Shabbos that anybody that says that Ruvain sinned is just mistaken. That means Ruvain did not do that. The Torah wrote it in a way that was very harsh, but that's not what he did. All he did was he moved his father's bed. His father's bed initially was in the in Rachel. He had four wives, but his main residence was with his wife Rachel, Rachel. And then when Rachel died, she died young. Yaakov went and he moved his bed, his main residence, into the tent of Bila, which was Rachel's maidservant. And Ruvain was very offended. You can imagine that. Because this is a maidservant. And Leah was the second wife. These were the two maidservants. Each one, Rachel had one maidservant, Bila. Uh, and 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 uh, uh, Leah had a maidservant Zilpa, and these maidservants were kind of afterwards elevated to be wives, but they were always like secondary wives. So now that Rachel passed away, one thing that his wife had to be offended all of Rachel's life that she was like second in line, but to go and put the maidservant before. Now Yaakov did that because Yaakov is Yaakov's bed is not just hanging out where he you know likes this one that one. Yaakov is the, is the channel for the divine. And for whatever reason, the channel of godliness into the world has to go through Billa now for whatever reason. And not at this point moment. There is a purpose in Leah being married to Yaakov, but his primary residence has to be over there. And when Ruvain went and in, his, and in his haste and is sticking up for his mother, moved the bed, it was considered a major sin on his part. Why? Because he should have known. That as much as he knows, his father knows a little better. That's the bottom line. He should have realized that. That Yaakov, you know, the famous story with the Bolshemtov, that the Bolshemtov um, once found his, uh, there was once a person who met a Yid who had lived very, very long, a very long life. And um, I think the story was that there was a young man, that's a funny story, that a person came, came across a person that was speaking, it was a young person, he was speaking very, like very strongly and a little disrespectful to, to his father, an elderly person. And he was like yelling at it. And this person was so taken aback because he was so upset that a son speaks like that to a father. So he chastised him. He said, this is where you talk to your father. He says, father? He says, I'm the father. As it turned out it was the, it was the, 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 the son was an old man. He was like 85 years old already, 90 years old. And the father was like over the years, like 110 years old. And he lived very young. And he was really the father. And he was, and, and he was very young and youthful. And he looked young. And he was yelling at his son. <laughs> and this guy, so he asked him, how is it possible? So he told him he got a blessing from the Balshemtov to live long. What happened was that he once, I think he was the attendant by the Balshemtov, and he moved the Balshemtov slippers. And the Balshemtov said to him that, you know, maybe he was cleaning the room and he, Moshemta said, you should live a long life, but please don't move my slippers ever again. 
What I mean to say is by Natsad, he puts his slippers over here, or he puts his slippers over there. There's much more to it than what we think it is. You know, I read a story just very interesting that um, it, it, it was Matzah Simchas, just, I, I just saw the story yesterday. It was Matzah Simchas Torah, and, and it was Matzah Simchas Torah on a Friday. Friday was Simchas Torah, so Simchas Torah was going right into Shabbos. Simchas Torah was going right into Shabbos. Shabbos Bereshis. So when the Rebbe, at the end of the Fabrengen, when the Rebbe like, went out after Mairev, the Rebbe started singing Visamachta. And we all know the tune. Visamachta, that's the Visamachta song, right? Um, the Rebbe, and that's how the Rebbe would usually start the song. This time the Rebbe started singing Visamachta to the tune of Visamachta, Visamachta, to the song of Ufaratsta, which is this week's parish. Ufaratsta, Yom Right? So the Rebbe sang the Samachta of Ufaratsta. Okay, so people are watching. It's strange to sing the Samachta to the tune of Ufaratsta was like. So obviously there were amongst Chassidim those who know that the Rebbe is singing this, uh, you know, it must be, this is the right. But there were those who thought the Rebbe, like, you know, maybe, you know, he's still tired. And, <laughs> and, and, and he just slipped and he sang the Samachta instead of Ufaratsta, Ufaratsta, then Samachta, because. A rabbi can is human and he can and he can make a mistake, has for shalom like kind. The next day, the Rebbe explained by the Fabrengen, or to, it was it was a, a few days later, the Rebbe explained by the Fabrengen, the Rebbe made reference that because Matzah Simchas Torah, on the one hand, it's the end of Simchas Torah, so it, it 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 it's it's connected to the time from Visamachta. It's connected to the time from Visamachta because it belongs to Sukkot. But on the other hand, it's already the beginning of Shabbos Bereshis, which Shabbos Bereshis is the time where Yaakov Halach Ladarko, Yaakov has to go fix the world. And then we finish the holidays of Tishrei. We're going already to conquer the world. And conquering the world is the blessing of, that Hashem gives to Yaakov. Of, you know, Ufaratzta, you're going to break all borders and all boundaries. So the Rebbe said, and that's why we sang the Samachta to the tune of Ufaratzta, to make a combo of the Samachta and Ufaratzta. That was, the, that, was, that was what the Rebbe explained. So the, the, when it comes to tzaddikim, especially on the caliber of these tzaddikim that are just purely divine channels, every, every, every thought, speech, and action is just pure godliness. There's no moving around. You can't just wiggle. You know, you don't decide. You think it should be like this. So when Ruvain did that, it was a big sin. It's considered a big sin. So when the Gemara says that Ruvain didn't sin, the Gemara means he didn't sleep with Rivka. That he didn't do. But, the Gemara, but he, this was a sin. Now, if Ruvain committed a big sin. So why do we say that, 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 that Yaakov, all of his children are so perfect? Later, Reuven gets rebuked for it. Obviously, you're still pretty perfect if all you did was one sin, especially if it was defending your mother. <laughs> so yeah, I, I would say he's pretty perfect. Man, you know, obviously you can't compare him in any way, chas v'shalom, in a million years, to Esau and to Yishmael, uh, who are villains. So, um, uh, but still, when we say that his bed was perfect, I mean, I don't know why, you know, in a sense, you can ask the question, you know, why are we picking on Ruven? You got Shimon and Levi who sold, uh, who were going to kill Yosef. And, but over there, you can say that at least at their moment, they sat down with the Beisden. It wasn't just, and they, according to the law of Torah, believe that Yosef deserves to die. It wasn't, it wasn't an act of just, you know, uh, reckless jealousy. It's considered a sin, but on the other hand, it wasn't, it wasn't a, a, a sin just, you know, out of regular listening to Yetzirah, something bigger over here. Okay. But in any case, regarding Ruben's sin, what's the perfection of Yaakov? 
And the idea behind it, this is a teaching from the Rebbe again, fantastic. The Gemara says that, the Medrash says, that the Hashem says to Reuven, you're the first person who did, who did, who, who, who did tshuva. Real tshuva. Um, we know that Cain and Adam did somewhat tshuva after his sin. And Cain, after he killed Hevel, had some kind of a tshuva. But Reuven is really the first one who did a thorough tshuva and a real tshuva. Which means that Ruvain is, and he shows the world how to do truth. So what that means is that um, when we say that Yaakov, his bed is, the term that the sages use is his bed is complete. His bed is complete means all his children that come from him are all a complete family. The completion of the Jewish family entails not just one kind of a perfection. It's a multifaceted and multi, multi-dimensional beautiful family. And it's the perfection of holiness in this world. And the perfection of holiness in this world is going to have many different forms and very different aspects to it. It's not all going to be people that are just always doing the right things. Including in the avenues of holiness are bouncing back from failure. There will be people amongst the Jewish people whose heart and soul are 100% completely devoted to pure divinity and godliness. And everything outside of holiness does not, anything outside of holiness doesn't even enter their sphere of consideration. It doesn't even enter their mind. They have no appetite, no desire, no want. There is no temptation in their world. Their entire existence is pure Kedusha. And there are many Jews throughout history that attain that level, and those are the tzaddikim, the great righteous people. Amongst the Jewish people, there will also be people that are heroic fighters, that have to deal with a lot, a lot, a lot of negativity within their being. They're born with imperfection. They're born with a struggle. They're, and throughout their entire life, they will never overcome the struggle. As we learn in Tanya, that there are people that are characterized, and they're called bainanim. Bainanim are people that are always struggling. But these are people that are awesome. Their awesome service to God is that they always win the battle. They always choose right. It's not that they don't come into, they don't have a, they don't have a struggle. They have a struggle and they have a, and they have a mighty struggle, but they always win. And that's called Bainanit. And then there are different types of Jews who their destiny and their, their path in life is to make mistakes and to fall. And to fall once and to fall twice and to come crashing down many, many times and to end up in rock bottom. And end up in the darkest of places. And yet these people from the from the pits, from these very darkest places, they experience the most deepest, the most intense pain from their separation with God. And from that place, they turn around and they do tshuva. And that's the power of the what we call the Baal tshuva, the penitent. The penitent is the person returning from God after his soul has been broken off. After his, 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 he has gone astray. After he or she has lost their way. And their pathway to God is through tshuva. And the effects that they have on the cosmos, the effects that they have in terms of the dynamics of existence through their tshuva is a unique contribution that others can't do, as we'll soon see. Judaism has to include all these things because the methods of serving God has to include every aspect of service, which in general divided in these three, three types of people, tzaddik, benani, and Russia, who the Russia is meant to become a bal tshuva. Because Russia is not meant to be. Russia means wicked. And it's not meant to remain wicked. He's meant to turn his or her life around and to do true. 
Because Yaakov is perfect, and Yaakov is the one who's going to set the stage and his family for a perfect service, he needs to create amongst his children to have one of them as the trailblazer for tshuva, and that is Ruvay. So that's different between Avram and Yitzchak. Avram and Yitzchak have a son, a sinner who do not bounce back. In other words, who slip and fall and remain in the outside world, in the world that is anti-godly and anti-holy. That's out. And therefore, that's what we don't say about them, that their bed is perfect. No. They created a holy channel, but there is an unholiness that comes from them. Their perfection is that that unholy they spit out. That's their perfection. What is unholy cannot be tolerated inside them, so they, it gets ejected and it gets spit out. It goes outside of them. That's great. Yaakov, Yaakov attains a level of holiness, of attachment to God, where there cannot be any disconnect. But because Yaakov also needs to open up a channel for every type of connection, so therefore, Yaakov has to pave the way for people who will step out of the realms of holiness, go into the dark side, and from there come back, because that too is the perfection of holiness. That even from a state of, 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 of separation, there is a way back to God. And not only there is a way back from God to God, so that, so that even a person who has sadly lost his or her way can come back, it's not only be to, 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 to enable people like that to also be jump on the bandwagon. It's much deeper than that. That's the only way the rectification of the world will be thorough and complete is if people will venture into the dark side, go into the dark side, and then from the dark side rebound back to holiness. Because what they are contributing is they are taking darkness itself and converting it to light. Which the people that are righteous and are holy and are sitting all day long saying, holy, holy, holy God, and are busy all day with holiness, cannot achieve. Holy people can channel a lot of holiness into the world. Holy people can separate good and bad from the world, can minimize the side of the unholy, can weaken the side of the unholy, but they do not turn darkness into light. The real transformation of darkness into light are the people that sin from time to time, the people that fall, the people that make mistakes, the people that live filled with guilt and regret and pain. And the, and yet, because when they turn to God, it is so deep, it is so powerful. And the negativity itself gets transformed to light. Why? As the explanation of Hasidus is, because their yearning for God, their attachment to God, their longing to connect to the Eberster, to God, is with such an intensity that the tzaddikim don't have. Because the tzaddikim are not running away from disconnect. Tzaddikim are not running away from darkness. Tzaddikim are not having tasted death. These people did taste death. And therefore their desire for life is with, is, 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 is with an intensity that's unquenchable. That is so intense. That is so powerful. It's dynamic. It's, it's, on a, it's, 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 it's dynamite. It's beyond, beyond. That's the vulture. And because of that, since the darkness now, the sin, the unholy, is instrumental in leading this person to a connect, to a recognition and a love to God and a passion and a yearning for God and a thirst to God that the righteous don't have. So then the dark things now are redefined as a stepping, 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 um, stepping stools or ladders to holiness. So the darkness itself 
what is ugly and dark and disconnected in this world from Hashem becomes transformed to Kedush. That's so, so, so Kedusha has to include that as well. So, for that reason, Yaakov has Ruvain as well. So, the difference between Yaakov's sinful son, God, so to speak, is that in Yaakov, the sinner itself is included in holiness. In the others, they, the unholy gets. So, and what, what that really means is that Avram and Yitzchak don't have the power. To trans didn't have the power to transform darkness to light. Yaakov has that power to go even to venture out even into darkness and to convert darkness to light. So just like we find it in Yaakov that in his children he had he had Levi, such a tzaddik. Levi means attachment to God. He has Yosef. Yosef, who's the one who overcomes every temptation and every challenge. He passes every test with flying colors. He's like the perfect of the perfect. And so to Yehuda, the mighty lion, and so on and so forth. But he has Reuven too. And Reuven is just as a hero as all the other sons. In a sense, he is his firstborn son. He's like the, the main power of Yaakov is actually in Reuven. In the sense that he can bounce back from a dark place. And he can do truth. So now, and that creates this magnificent family. So just like you see it in Yaakov's children, we have to see that in Yaakov himself. Yaakov himself in his life had to incorporate all types of service so that Yaakov could be the father of the great people. So that's why we find that Yaakov's life is divided in two or in three segments in terms of where he lived. In general, it's between Yaakov lived in the land of Israel and he lived outside of the land of Israel. Which, which on that level, what it means is, in Eretz Yisrael means his service to God in the holy, with the holy. Outside of the land of Israel means how he's impacting the unholy. How he's dealing with, how he is navigating in the, the outside of holiness. But in within the unholy world itself, outside of holiness, there are two areas where Yaakov lived. One is Haran, and one is Egypt. And what's the difference between the two? Haran is dark, but Egypt is super dark. Haran represents the Jew who experiences a dark world, distractions, the, all kinds of, all kinds of unholy things are in his or her psyche. But yet, what when Yaakov lives in, 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 in Haran, what, what's basically his business? He has to deal with a man called Lavan, a swindler, a liar, tries to deceive him, tries to keep on hacking him. Lavan is this ultimate hack. He wants to hack him all day long, and Yaakov fends him off. Yaakov fends off the, the, the Lavan all the time and manages to sort out from this big, massive world of Haran, you know, this whole big negative uh, town, world, whatever, it was, a, it, was a, it was a wicked place, he finds Rachel and Leah, he's able to select the good from the bad, and from the sheep, he's able to select the ones that belong in the world of holiness. He does a selection process. That's the navigation skill of a Jew. A Jew wandering in an unholy world and navigating, taking whatever has potential for holiness and including it in holiness, and keeping your guard up for all the stuff that are unholy and keeping them outside of holiness. 
That's primarily the work of what we call a Benoni. A Benoni is a Jew who's challenged, difficult, has temptations and negative desires, but yet manages to always choose what's right, never slips and falls into what's bad. Versus the tzaddik who doesn't even engage the unholy because his entire psyche is just kedusha, it's just holiness. There's nothing that enters into the tzaddik's mind suggesting anything that is that is negative. But the, the benani is the struggling Jew, and that's Yaakov Avinu in the land of Chara. But then Yaakov ventures even lower, and he lives 17 years. And here's the amazing thing: the time that he considers that to be the tov, the best of his life. Where does he live? In the land of in the land of Egypt. Egypt, as we said before, the filth of the world, the lowest of the low. And here's so that represents a person who's actually being going down even lower, a person who gets sucked up into the klipa, a person who falls sometimes into areas, into things, into the negativity in which we we find ourselves sometimes having made terrible mistakes and we feel disconnected. Now let's see where do you see in Yaakov that element. It seems like Yaakov, he was a tzaddik in Egypt, nothing. We find an interesting thing. You know that Yaakov's body was kind of trapped in Egypt? He had to come on to the mercy of the Egyptians, first of all, to get his body out of Egypt after he died. You know, Yosef has to go to Pharaoh, has to go to Paro and plead the case. Paro has to give permission. It says that Paro actually didn't want to. He wanted to keep Yaakov hostage. He didn't want to let Yaakov's body leave had Yosef not threatened him. Because Yosef said to, to Paro, I swore to my father that I would take him out. So Paro said, I don't care about you swearing. So you can violate your, your oath. So Yosef said, well, if I can violate that oath, I'll violate another oath that I took to you, that I gave you. It says that Yosef, Yosef, you know, in order to become viceroy of Egypt or be elevated to that position, one had to be fluent in 70 languages. And Yosef, the angel Gabriel, Gabriel came and taught Yosef all the 70 languages. So he was fluent in all of them. But he knew one that, yeah, that, 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 that Paro didn't know, and that was the holy tongue. And in a sense, Paro got very worried that Yosef knows what he doesn't know. He was supposed to be the God, you know, Paro. He knows everything. So Paro made Yosef swear to him that he wouldn't tell anybody. And Yosef took that. So now Yosef used that. said, you want me to break my oath? I can then break the other oath. So then he said, okay, so he let him go. But if not for that, he wouldn't have let him go. But let's think even without that. Where was Yosef, Yaakov Avinu after he passed away? For 70 days, he was in the coroner's office. I mean, they were embalming him, the doctors and so on and so forth. That's not a Jewish thing. We know how quick, you know, God forbid, this person passes away. We know it's a Jewish virtue to bury the person one, two, three. The only time there is some delays, you know, is when you have to take someone to Israel. Cause the greatness of taking to, to Eretz Yisrael can justify, you know, sometimes uh, two, three days because it would take to get. But just like that, we try to get burial done one, two, three. It's a very big uh, benefit for the person. Yaakov is sitting, and who's taking care of it? And even then, we have Jew, we have a, yeah, he's supposed to have a shomer, a Jew should be with the with the mace all the time, saying to heal him. And here is where who? The Egyptian doctors are, are taking care of Yaakov's body for 70 days, and only then they come out. Yaakov 
cannot sin. So we can't talk about Yaakov Avinu as a, as, as, as Chas Shalom, you know, Yaakov is the ultimate tzaddik. Yaakov can't sin, so he can't experience the experience of a Russia, of the, the experience of a wicked. But what is a wicked person? A wicked, what, what does it mean? What does it mean a person does an Avera and becomes wicked? An Avera is a wickedness. It's, it's a sinfulness. So what, what does that mean? It means that the klipa has taken your soul hostage. The klipa has managed to grab a person, and, and that's what Mitzrayim means. Mitzar means a prison. Has managed to take the soul and trap it. And the person is now doing what? He's using his godly energy to give life to the unholy. And the klipa is siphoning energy off this neshama, off this person. Yaakov couldn't sin even when he was in Egypt. But the concept of sin happened to him. They took his body hostage for 70 days. Now, why did Yaakov warns Yosef? Yaakov warns Yosef later in Pashas Vayechi, make sure not to leave me in Egypt. One of the reasons Yaakov tells Yosef not to leave his body in Egypt is because if he left his body in Egypt, they might deify Yaakov. Because Yaakov Avinu was, was considered an incredible national hero. Why was he such a national hero? Because when he came to the land, he, he brought tremendous, they all saw he brought unbelievable prosperity to the land. The famine stopped. It was supposed to be a famine for seven years. Came to an end. And the Nile River rose. It was incredible. And they all knew it's from Yaakov. So they wanted to deify Yaakov and then turn him into an idol. Yaakov said, if I stayed in Egypt, they would turn my burial site into a shrine and it would become a, a place of idolatry. So let's think about that. Let's think about that. Yaakov Avinu, the tzaddik of tzaddikim, the crown jewel of, the, of our forefathers. Holy of holy. Holiness means attached to God. The antithesis to holiness. This is crazy. The antithesis to holiness is idolatry. What's the most unholy thing in the world? An idol. Yaakov is the peak of holiness. His body is just pure holiness. His, he's, he's the mitzvah Jew. Every element of him is pure mitzvah, pure kedusha. We spoke about Hayitzchak's body is so holy. And Yaakov is, in a sense, holier in the sense that he is the third one. There's no nothing. It's only pure kedusha. He, and he reaches the peak of his life, the passing of the highest moment we spoke before in Egypt. And what would they do? And it, he is now, and what would they do with his body? He's vulnerable. That what? He's in the hands of people that will turn his body into an idol, which is the total opposite of the service of God. It's the biggest sin. And they would do it not next to Yaakov. They would do it with his body. And that's the state that Yaakov is when he passes away. And you wonder, huh? how in the world is that possible? The answer is, Yaakov's service has to include every kind of service. And what is a balchuva? What is the what, what is the balchuva? What is the penitent? The penitent becomes an idol for the klipa. They worship. When a person sins, not the penitent, before he becomes a penitent. When a person sins, then that neshama is like an idol, is like a because what's an idol? An idol is where you're going to receive energy from. You worship it because it will give you blessing. Why do you think the klipa wants a Judah to sin? When a Jew is sinning, 
He is now taking energy of holiness, godly energy, and passing it on to the Kalipa. So they're worshiping him. That's why a Jew, it says in the Gemara, has much more temptation than an Andrew to sin. Because the Kalipa wants to drain this powerful Nisham and take all that energy out. But what happens after whoever, the Jew, we and the Jewish people, all those that struggle with dark stuff, and we make mistakes and fall into really dark places. In the end, the end, the end, the end, because we're children of Yaakov, we're part of the Jewish people, we, there's no unholy, there has to be only holiness. And even the sojourn with the whole unholy, even that, even that entanglement with the unholy has a godly purpose. Because when we do tshuva, not only do we extract ourselves from the unholy, but we come back with an, an unbelievable profit. We take the unholiness itself and all the energy that was in the unholy by itself that was stuck in the klipa, that we had never access to take it out, all that gets re restored and brought back to holiness. The sparks of holiness that are buried, buried in the darkest of places are elevated and returned to Kedusha. So that's what happened with Yaakov. After they messed with him for 70 days, the doctors of Egypt holding his body and everything, what did they do in the end? The entire Egypt came up to the land of Israel to bury Yaakov in Eretz Yisrael. The flip. They want to hold him. They want to hold him in, in, in the land of Egypt. That's what they want to do to hold him down over there and turn him into a god. Now they're coming to Eretz Yisrael, bringing Yaakov to the. They're all being elevated. All of and that elevation. In a sense, you can say, I didn't see this anywhere, that when that huge massive funeral came and was part of the possession to bring Yaakov to Eretz Yisroh, which the Torah describes the funeral, that was the beginning of the ability for the Jewish people to take all of the spiritual energy of Egypt outside of Egypt up to Eretz Yisroh. By them following Yaakov, that later, because the mice of the similar Lebanon, the Jewish people took all the money and wealth of Egypt and all the spiritual sparks of holiness, all that energy went out of Egypt and went up to the land of Israel. So what do you see? What am I just pointing out from here? That the period of time that Yaakov was in Egypt represents the element of the service of God that includes the service of the Balchu. And that type, just like we said earlier that Yaakov, because he's perfect, has to provide the nourishment and has to provide the empowerment in amongst his children for every type of service in his life itself. So Yaakov's life, let's let's, let's look at it this way. Or let's, Yaakov's life during the time that he was in the land of Israel represented the time that he's, he's serving Hashem like a tzaddik. He's not dealing with distractions. His entire time is only Torah, only davening, only learning, studying mysticism. He's connecting to God on the highest level. He's like a Shimon by Yechai in the cave. That's when Yaakov is 63 years in the land of Israel, then 14 years in yeshiva afterwards. This is all 95 years from, from total, Yaakov in the land of Israel. Holy of holies. That represents the service of all the yeshiva people that learn Torah all day, all, that's a, all people whose entire existence is immersed in holiness. Then there is the average Jew who goes out to the outside and has to deal with the unholy world. Do business with the unholy world, engaging everything, live in an unholy world, involved in an unholy world. The whole, but yet Jews that are, are what we call, or we might in Yiddish say, an erlich 
Yidin that end up always following the Shulchan Aruch. In other words, they deal with temptation, they deal with, with the rough stuff of the world, and they they affect more the purification of the world, but by what? By always making the right choice, choosing good over evil. And then there are what we might look at as the weak ones, and they're the ones who get clobbered. These are like the, the ones on the back. You would say the necheshalem achrecha, those who fall in the back. Those are all those who can't withstand the temptation and fall and go in. And many of them kind of leave the Jewish path and seem to be completely disconnected. But there's no such a thing as a spark going lost. It will always turn around. And for that, wait, so the, the middle time when Yaakov was in the land of Haran, his life in the land of Haran was empowering the Jews that are living outside of holiness, struggling with the unholy world, but always making the good choices. What we call the Benoni. Then Yaakov spends his last period of his life in the world of Egypt, which is that which is the realm of the wicked, the Russian. So Yaakov, and in each case, Yaakov comes out the winner. In each case, he passes with flying colors because the Jewish people are, are successful in all, all segments of the Jewish people. Everybody has its their mission. It, of course, it's not comfortable to be in that third category, and we should try not to be there. But if, God forbid, that's where we find ourselves, we cannot give up hope because we know that our father Yaakov has gone into Egypt and come, out, and come out of it, even when they wanted to turn him into an idol. He took those very idol worshipers and lifted them up to the land of Israel. And that's unique to the, to the person who sins and does tshuva that he can take darkness and the biggest tzaddikim can't do that. But Yaakov has all three. Now, now to conclude this whole idea, are these three separate? Are these three separate ways of serving God? And are we going to say that Yaakov Avinu was? He, Yaakov had like everything under his belt. He was, you know, he 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 um, he perfected the service of the tzaddik. He was also good at he had he was also good at being a benoni, and he was also even good at being a balchulah. He was like he had all the qualities, which very unique. Very rarely do you find someone who has all some you know, most people have one mode, and Yaakov had like all three, he was like perfect in three ways of serving God. That would be one way of understanding it, but the Rebbe says that's not it. It's not that Yaakov has all three. What Yaakov has is one one point of connection. He is a perfect as a person who is connected to God to the fullest. He is, his connection to the Eberster is limitless. And therefore, in any situation you will put him, whatever is needed, he will do what he needs to do. When he's in the land of Israel, there's no distractions. He's learning Torah day and night. He's not looking for distractions. He's not looking for, this is what God puts him. This is what God presents him. If you have moments in your life that even if Chas Vashalom, we find ourselves being in more in the third category or in the second category, if God has whatever reason relieved you from having to work for a few months because whatever, whatever it is, COVID shut down the whole world and you can sit in, in your own house and learn Torah or whatever it is, the opportunity has given you to be able to, go, to be able to study and not be distracted. Then you don't say, I'm not that type of guy. No, now Hashem wants this type of service. Yaakov Avinu was perfect in that service. He did it all the way to the end. Didn't waste a moment. Like we know, the 14 years he was in the yeshiva, he didn't go to sleep one time. Now, what? 14 years, didn't go to sleep one time. You utilize, he utilized it to the, to, the, to the every last drop, the time that he can serve God as a tzaddik. 
Then suddenly God flips everything around and throws him into a complete different situation. It's not that now Yaakov Avinu is going to excel in something else. Yaakov is still the same Yaakov. What's, what's the same Yaakov? His attachment to God is absolute. So he's unwavering. Nothing can move him. So if the service now involves dealing with the with a cunning world, with a deceptive world, dealing with an uncle, a, 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 sh a shrewd liar, and, a and he has to be moral and correct and right and maintain his integrity and his morality, well, he does that. He's the perfect businessman. God-fearing Jewish businessman. The perfect God-fearing Jewish entrepreneur. Following Torah exactly. Not cheating one iota, even though he's dealing with the biggest cheat. Always being moral, always doing right, always doing correct. And perfect in that. And then when God puts him into Egypt, into the place of unimaginable temptation and of, of in a situation where we can say he's led into a state of sinfulness. And again, when I, by Yaakov, it's not Shaykh, God forbid that he should sin. But as you see with his body, the same idea of the sin was, was going to be done. And yet he champions over there as well. Why? Because, because he's Yaakov. Not because he's good at this and good at that and good at that. He's, it's not about this or that or that. It's just because he is attached to Hashem no matter what. And that's what Yaakov gives to each and every one of us. To be attached to God no matter what. And life sometimes will present us with complete different uh, uh, um, sets. Sometimes we find that you know you can look at long stretches in your life that are kind of within one one setting, but at times it's not that way. And we can look at each and our our own lives and find how each how every day really incorporates all things. We can see in ourselves how, for example, the concept in general in Tanya discusses that some people are tzaddikim, some people are beinonim, and some people are wicked. Rishai, which be weak, and therefore they deal with sin. And their their avod is to do tshuva, and then there are benunim who their avod is to fight off the yitzhar and always win. And then there are tzaddikim who don't have any yitzhar. But the truth is, every single one of us is all these three things. There are certain areas in our life that we love holiness, certain aspects of kedusha that are very appealing to us, and certain dark stuff that don't speak to us at all. That we're abhorred. That we're abhorred by it. We're disgusted by it. In that in that particular aspect of your life, you're a tzaddik. So in that area, serve God to the best you can as it sounded. There are certain areas where we struggle, but we know we have the fortitude to win. And, we, and we're winning. We know there are certain things that we, 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 we many times have a temptation, but we know that this is an area where we win. And that area, we are a Benoni. So we're like a certain part of us is Benoni. And then there are the areas where we know that we are super challenged and our area that is like our weakness. And we know we are embarrassed even to look at ourselves because we know in that area we always we always fail miserably, and it's like kind of our very 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 like a side that we're ashamed of, and 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 that's the weak side. And we re and, and we and, and we know that we have the power to serve Hashem and to fulfill our purpose and our mission, even in that weak area, because when we don't let it pull us down. And instead, when we God forbid fall into the into the dark into the dark place, we we take that very darkness and we use it as to create the pain and the energy that's necessary to return and be a balchuva, you know, to, to return to God with a certain 
Now, there's two ways you deal with being in a very dark place. One way is to throw in the towel and feel like you're a massive loser and a, and a nobody and, and whatever and just, you know, uh, fall into despair. Or you can be a hero and say, you know what? I, I made a mistake, but I'm going to dive in even better tomorrow. I'm going to connect even better tomorrow. And I'm going to and I'm going to fight my my demons even stronger than before. And I might fall again, but I'm going to fight to the best I can. And when you do that, you're transforming darkness in unbelievable ways. And Yaakov Avinu had all three together. And therefore, he is the ultimate, ultimate, perfect um, tzaddik. And he, is the, and he empowers all of us to be able to include, incorporate. And the main point is to be attached to Hashem with an absolute attachment that will always, in every shape or form, we always come out on the top. And that's the awesomeness of being a Jew and being B'nai Yisrael, the children of Yisrael. Yisrael is Yaakov. You have ministered over divine forces and over human forces and you have prevailed. And as that's true about each and every one of us, so it's true about the Jewish people as a whole. It's true about the Jewish people as a whole. And of our, meaning in the Jewish people there are different sections and yet we all pass with flying colors. And in addition to that, in our history, we have times in the time when the Beis Amigdash was standing. We were kind of in Eretz Yisrael, serving God like tzaddikim. And then we went into exile, but in exile itself, in a place where we were in exile, but all Jews were all, you know, everybody was from, if you would say. Everybody was religious. Everybody was observant. Yet it was very difficult because we were in, very, in a very non-Jewish environment. And yet then there are periods of time in history where so many segments of the Jewish people, their only path to God is through tshuva. And yet that too, we come through on that level as well. And with that, we create what's called the tzibor. Tzibor is tzaddik, a community, which stands for tzaddik beis resh, tzaddikim, beinanim, and rishayim. But the Russia doesn't stay Russia. The Russia becomes tshuva, becomes the bal tshuva. And with all this, per, with all this beauty, we, we, we are gathered together to come back home and present God with our ultimate triumph, like Yaakov Avinu prayed, V'shafti b'shalem, and return in peace, I'll base Avi to my father's house, and then you will be my God, which is at the coming of Mashiach, when Hashem will be our God in a revealed and open way. May it be today. Thank you.